Today on Happy Set Confused, filmmaker Damien Chazelle takes Ryan Gosling and audiences to the moon with First Man. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, on today's show, one of our greatest filmmakers working today. He's obnoxiously young and talented, but we're going to just set that aside and just appreciate what he is contributing to cinema, Damien Chazelle. Uh, his last three films are La La Land, Whiplash, and now first man and i would put those three films up against any three in a row for any filmmaker today and and you could even go back a significant time in history to look at a run like that early especially early in a filmmaker's career um damien chazelle is uh is operating on a level that few filmmakers can aspire to and first man is currently in theaters you've probably heard about it by now it is of course the uh, true life tale of Neil Armstrong and the uh, insane endeavor <laughs> to get to the moon uh, for America to beat the Russians in the space race and to put a man on the moon. Uh, we know where the story ends, but this story is unexpected in many ways. It's a deeply personal film about a man and a family wrestling with tragedy, surrounded by death, surrounded by hardships, uh, who perseveres and focuses on one task that seems uh, foolhardy at best and, and just impossible uh, by most standards. But again, we all know where this ends up. And it's, it's a thrilling movie. I'm a big fan of this movie. I've actually seen it three times for various reasons. And uh, my appreciation actually has, has probably even grown as I've seen it uh, over and over again. The craftsmanship is impeccable. Uh, the, the last 30, 40 minutes are basically about the moon landing and, and takes you on that journey. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a surprisingly emotional film, too. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was really caught off guard by uh, what, of how it hit me and, and how intensely it hit me at the end. And I think that that's a tribute to the filmmaker, to the writer, uh, Josh Singer, who has written a bunch of great stuff in recent years, most notably Spotlight. Uh, he was a co-writer on The Post. Um, and of course, Ryan Gosling's performance, which is understated like the man apparently was, but deeply moving and effective. And of course, you know I'm going to mention Claire Foy. If you listen to this podcast, you know it's a Claire Foy love fest, and she is, uh, of course, wonderful in it. Um, kind of taking Neil Armstrong to task as, as his wife at times. You know, she's not a shrinking violet. She's not just the, you know, the wife at home. There, there's more to this character than that. And that's, again, a testament to the writing direction and, of course, Claire Foy's performance. So this was a great treat. Damien's been on the podcast before. He was on for La La Land. Uh, so it's... Uh, you know, it's La La Land was like my favorite film of that year. Whiplash, I'm not sure if it was my favorite of the year it came out, but it was certainly near the top. And this will be near the top as well this year. So um, I, have, I have so much admiration for what Damien is doing in his career. And uh, it's, it's thrilling to talk to just a master filmmaker, even at this young age. Uh, you know, to, to, to call this a spoiler conversation maybe is a little weird because, again, we know sort of where the story heads. But if you're, if you're adverse to that kind of conversation, if you want to, um, it, it, it probably is to your advantage to have seen the film before listening to this conversation. It probably plays uh, anyway. But uh, we do get into some 
specific scenes, specific choices that Damien makes. So fair warning, if you are spoiler adverse, maybe see First Man first and then come back to this conversation. And I think if you have seen it, this um, in-depth conversation will be richly rewarding. At least I hope so. It was for me. Uh, anyway, that's the main event today. A lot of cool films out right now. We're really uh, deep into, into the fall where all these great films are coming out. Um, Beautiful Boy just came out. I really recommend that with deeply personal and emotional performances from Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Um, Hate You Give is still in theaters. I recommend that. A Star is Born is going to play for months and months and months. If you haven't seen that, check it out. Can You Ever Forgive Me, uh, of which we're going to have a, a, a notable cast member on the podcast very soon. Uh, Mid-90s. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff out there. So enjoy, enjoy this fall season where all the good stuff comes out. I know I am. Uh, but... For today, let's talk First Man. Please enjoy this conversation with Damien Chazelle. As always, please spread the good word of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. And uh, let your friends know your little secret, your secret little favorite podcast. Let them in on the treat that is Happy, Sad, Confused. A lot of really cool guests coming up. Uh, please enjoy this conversation with Damien Chazelle and go check out First Man if you haven't already. Damien Chazelle is in my uh, silly office in New York. Thanks for coming by, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, we've been commiserating about the, you know, this is this is a, a busy time of year, especially for you. Um, you know, you've done the film festival circuit, and now the world at large is about to receive your film. So, uh, congratulations, man. I've thanks. Se- I've seen this one twice. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Unbelievable. Um, so you, and you, also in the middle of all this, you got married. <laughs> Yeah, well, yes. I mean, we 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 uh, we actually we we got married a little bit a little bit before, but um, okay. but it's uh, yeah, it's been a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff happening. Checking at once. every box in a life. Well, yeah, you know, it's just going down the down the list. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a lot to talk about in this film. Um, well, one thing that I'm just curious about. Uh, Steven Spielberg's an executive producer on this film. I'm just curious, like as like a film fan as someone that like grew up I'm sure enjoying his work mm-hmm. does that check a box in a career to, oh to um, have his name in the credits maybe yeah I mean it's certainly uh it's certainly uh it's certainly fun I mean I had never um I had never met him before um you know before before this movie and and uh and so but you know when I heard that um he was sort of coming on as an executive producer his, his, you know his, his company was uh Helping finance the the movie, uh, you know, I kind of immediately saw my opportunity to, uh, you know, oh, wait, uh, I've got some questions. Even if you don't have w- any questions, wiggle my way into uh, <laughs> into his office. And no, I mean he's he's such a uh, he's such a generous filmmaker in that way. You know, he really, um, man, yeah. I I, I like where I, do you begin I, with him? Like, what's the like? What was the thing when you met with him that you were like, I need to before I get out of this office at least pick his brain about X. Um, I picked his brain a lot about, um, the, the D-Day sequence and Saving Private Ryan. Um, and, um, I mean, you know, just sort of various kind of, yeah, just kind of technical how-to questions. Um, uh, I I was just, I was curious sort of how long it took and how, um, how involved it was and how they rehearsed it and how, you know, and if they rehearsed it and yada, yada. And so I, you know, and, and, and the shooting choices and everything. So I, I kind of, uh, I feel like that was the, the main, um, 
the main sort of thrust of the conversation. And I, and I, and I also, I think I had some questions for him because I, you know, I was sort of figuring out at that point how I wanted to do some of our launches, especially sort of do the exterior imagery. Yeah. Um, I was, I was kind of deathly afraid of the, you know, that sort of CG, uh, no man's land that you can kind of fall into with fire and smoke, especially, which are very unforgiving. And so, um, trying to kind of, trying to find ways to co-opt a lot of the actual archival footage and, and augment it as opposed to sort of, um, as opposed to working from scratch. It yeah. was this sort of, um, this kind of, uh, it was this sort of two-tiered process that the VFX team and myself kind of were working on, but I was just curious what he thought of it and, you know, if he had any, yeah. um, any stuff, you know, any light to shed. And then, um, and then he wound up telling me how they did the, the, the really great tidbit was how they did the uh, water rippling in Jurassic Park, the, uh, you sure, know, the, the, cup, yeah. the, the little the water ponds, in the cup. Yeah. And, and then again in the pond, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was basically just this big, uh, maybe you already know this, like kind of big guitar string that was just that. underneath. Um, I mean, it's so, it, that was literally just being plucked. I mean, it was so, um, so low tech yeah. in such a delicious way. <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind great. of... One of the most iconic... Yeah, moments in film. It's so great. It's um, that's the kind of stuff that's really fun. I guess when you get to like peel back the curtain a little bit, um, yeah. and often you find, yeah, the through line is just the simpler the better. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring up because this was on my list of things I definitely wanted to talk to you about the uh, the launches, particularly the. Um, well, I mean, I, both. I want to talk about both the Gemini Eight and the Apollo Eleven, and um, we're going to run this after the films come out. So, um, minor spoilers. I mean, you know, this is all public record. We know what happens, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, they did make it. They made it, guys. <laughs> it's not like Clue, where you go into like one theater and they don't make it, and another theater they do. Yeah, they make it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was struck by. Um, well, maybe like start like I, I sort of the, the last sequence, the Apollo Eleven, because like I feel like you 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 and Justin in particular that collaboration struck me in, in watching that sequence because um, his score is gorgeous uh, oh, as always, and but I feel like he kind of held back the emotional kind of like really going for the jugular, like that kind of bombastic score that you might expect yeah. in a film of this type until that sequence. Mm -hmm. Is that is that something you guys discussed in terms of like let's not yeah blow it too early not blow the wad before the uh, yeah i mean it, it was sort of um um yeah i mean i think it was it was uh also i guess trying to be in keeping with the character uh who was at the heart of the movie neil was was famously not someone who uh was very overtly emotive um and uh um um and so it felt like uh i kind of liked the idea of trying to lean into in all aspects of the movie lean into the uh the uh, you know what would you call this sort of pressure squeezer the, the kind of pressure cooker um, uh, idea of emotion in a movie where you where you just sort of let it simmer for a while and let it kind of build up pressure um, beyond the point where you normally would yeah um, and only only after you've bypassed that point <laughs> and then some do you finally let it explode and and you know it just kind of feels like that if you do that uh, I mean it's always risky because uh, you know. Because uh, it, it, it is, but, but you know, you, you want to make sure that people are, are still along with you uh, right, for that ride. Get pissed but, off but and like stop manipulating it, 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 exa Exactly, <laughs> but um, but uh, but ideally, what you're aiming for, I guess, is is um, uh, you know being able to indulge ultimately in in 
you know, I guess, you know, what I'd kind of call pure cinema, you know, that's just uh, where where it just becomes about imagery and sound and and the raw emotion that that can communicate without without words um, or without leaning on words. And you just sort of you can kind of ride that wave, but you have to like bottle up enough energy in order to give yourself the wave to ride. Yeah, no, it does make sense. And I was also struck by the fact that like, you know, as someone that's seen like all films of this, if you want to call it a genre, you know, it, it feels like we've seen every possible angle on mm-hmm. that kind of launch, and you actually did find new ways. It was <laughs> interesting because, especially in that sequence, you're talking about like the pressure cooker. Like, so much of the film is about intimacy on the on the eyes and the claustrophobia, um, and that that sequence kind of like goes back and forth between that and then these vistas and these wide shots that I don't remember seeing in launch sequences before, where you pull back even further than I've, than I've ever seen actually yeah, yeah, yeah. in one of those yeah. sequences. Yeah. Well, it felt like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it felt like, uh, I mean, there's essentially two launches in the movie, two kind of, you know, traditional yeah. rocket launches in the movie. Um, and uh, I, I always knew that one of them, uh, the first one I would want to, um, you know, have pretty strict rules about, one of which would be that we never leave the capsule, right. that we stay entirely within the capsule. Um, and uh, And so in a way, you know, we've kind of, used up our mileage of within capsule photography through that launch. So by the time you get to the Apollo 11 launch, it's, you know, it felt like, um, uh, and also again, in keeping with that idea of, of contained emotion that you're now exploding, the valve, yeah, um, exactly. yeah, that, that you could actually indulge in just the, the sheer enormity of, yeah. of, of that launch. And I think that's something that people maybe don't realize or forget about the Saturn V is just how enormous it was, how enormous of a rocket it was. The object itself that sometimes we see as a little speck rising up in the in the distance is bigger than, you know, most high rises. It's bigger than Big Ben. Um, and uh, and then the thrust of that of that, um, you know, that 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 rocket gives off. It's it's the you know, in, in the history of man made sounds, it's the loudest sound ever created by humans next to a nuclear bomb. Wow. Um, so it gives you a sense of, of, of just the ferocity of that. And well, you feel the heat in that sequence. You feel it's just like everywhere. It's, it's, it's to, to me, it also speaks to just how, um, you know, it sort of speaks to <laughs> maybe, maybe this, you know, I, I think you could use those launches as, as a way of arguing, look, human beings really should stay on the ground no, exactly. because it's this is how like, much it takes to get them off. Or it's like, this is to, you know, um, Claire's character's point when she's kind of berating, yeah. um, um, in, you know, uh, uh, forgive me. Um, Deke Slayton, Deke, thank Kyle you. Chandler yeah. plays him. Yeah. Um, that it is in, to a degree boys playing with balsa wood and, yeah. and, and, there this, is an inherent madness to it. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. that strikes you in, in all the sequences in the film. It's like these, some of these crafts literally feel like they're being taped together with yeah. masks. Yeah. With, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think it's partly because of how fast moving that program was. I mean, you know, eventually, sort of when I grew up, I was used to the kind of routine of the shuttle launches. And, and uh, you know, not that those didn't have their own dangers, but the, but, um, but you know, eventually there was a somewhat regular, Definitely. regular routinized kind of um, aspect to this, and, and they were able to kind of fine tune things with each successive mission. But this was a you know the period in this movie was a period in time where from within eight years, from sixty one to sixty nine, they went from having barely, barely put someone in sub orbit, not even in orbit, uh, to literally walking on the moon. 
Um, and when you think of orbit, I mean, it's like, you know, you, you, you think of, uh, uh, and, you know, we had Deke Slayton kind of draw yeah. that thing on the map, uh, or on the chalkboard early in the movie. But, you know, if you, if, you take, if you take the Earth and you scale the moon out in terms of distance and size from the Earth, it really helps kind of encapsulate. I remember using like a soccer ball and like, a, you know, some kind of smaller sort of, you know, a ping pong ball. Right, a marble uh, or whatever, in, yeah. In a, <laughs> in a house to do that. And you needed the length of a room to Amazing. do it. And, uh uh, and so it, 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 you just start to realize, okay, how do human beings go from there to there in eight years? Well, they do it. Slap it together. They do it by slapping it together. Yeah, they don't have <laughs> and time. And failing until to, they. Exactly. And they don't have time to, uh, to, you know, perfect in the way that, you know, we, we might have wanted, you know, them right. to perfect. And then, so as a, as, a, as a result, it requires people who are that, that courageous, that willing to, uh, you know, essentially give up their lives for, for, for right. a greater goal, you know, in a way. And, um, and also the willpower, I guess, around all of it, the political willpower, the national will, the, the kind of um, this sort of collective will to, uh, to, 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 yeah, birth something that was not easy to, to birth. Right. It's interesting. I, I'm glad you brought up like the that the sequence of the equators on the chalkboard because like it's, it struck me when I was watching it. That sequence and the sequence where it's like a NASA film kind of like outlining like what the, what the <laughs> yeah. moon landing is. It reminded me. And I don't know if this ever occurred to you. Like I always think of the expertise with which like James Cameron uh, um, can lay out exposition. Uh, oh I think yeah. Of the scene in Titanic. The Titanic one is brilliant. It's brilliant. Of, of yeah, yeah. The CGI like they do the computer simulations oh, and yeah. you know literally how it's gonna go. I, I I looked at that a million times. I mean the the um, um, it's also kind of really, you know, what's sort of brilliant about that is, um, I guess what I love about what Cameron does there that I, I sort of tried to rip off a little bit is, is the idea of reducing a massive event to literally a cartoon. There's something about, um, there's something about the bite-sizedness and the kind of innocence of a cartoon. I mean, here, in, in our case, it was, you know, we used an actual, I mean, we, we wound up changing the voiceover a bit, but we used an actual, the imagery is from actual NASA oh, wow. cartoons. And, and uh, you know, that were designed as vaguely inf informational, you know, sort yeah. of a public service announcement, so to speak. Um, but, you know, they're... It, it, it very much is, uh, I think, in keeping with kind of the mystique and the mythology that NASA wanted to kind of propagate around itself, which is that, you know, uh, look at this fun adventure that we all get to embark on. You know, it's uh, at the end of the day, they had to be salesmen. Yeah. They had to, in between missions, go to the White House and beg for money. Yeah. They had to be always showcasing the fact that this was fun, that this was doable. <laughs> You know, maybe they couldn't quite say it was easy, but they wanted to, you know, they right. want to definitely say it was feasible, eminently feasible, that they have the best minds in the world, which actually was true. Right. Um, but, you know, they have the best minds in the world and therefore anything is possible and it's not going to be particularly dangerous. All the little figurines in those cartoons, they look pretty happy, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and so it felt like that would be a place to really begin a movie that then from there on, I think really the, the, the point for me of the movie was to actually, you know, uh, show how much of a... Uh, you know how much of a movified version of everything that really was. Yeah, this how, is a pretty how gritty cartoon. Let's, let's and, zoom and in and see. It was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and these little things that they're showing be kind of you know semi easy, charming kind of trips into space actually cost lives and yeah. destroyed families and cost uh, a lot of money and uh, a lot of upheaval. So it's it's uh, you know the, the 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 irony there I think is uh, was interesting. But then of course you know you also have to take into account that. It worked. Like right. at the end of the day, uh, uh, 
we did walk on the moon and, and maybe you need a certain amount of almost delusional innocence at the outset to will something like that into existence. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like people, you know, and they often, and I'm uh, guilty of this too, talk about your films are about ambition. Um, and that's, a, it, it is a clear through line. It's, I think also a word as, as important as that, especially for this film, is focus. Um, mm. Like I was struck by, especially the second time watching it, you know, um, Neil, you know, and his family are struck by this this horrible uh, tragedy of losing their daughter in the first what ten minutes or something. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you set him up as like this heartless person that is like focused on work in absence of his daughter. Yeah. His focus is actually on healing her, mm -hmm. on solving that problem. It's just a shift of focus. Yeah, it's a way of coping. It's a way. It's like yeah. he's clearly a directed, passionate person that just needs to focus all his energies in one direction, whether it's saving his daughter or landing on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it, 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 and and Ryan was really actually instrumental in sort of helping me and and Josh Singer, the screenwriter, kind of hone in on this more. Uh, you know, it, it really sort of at a certain point for us became a movie about uh, coping with yeah. grief, you know, and and uh, coping with loss, and uh, you know, different people have different ways of coping, and uh, uh, and I think Neil had a very particular, you know, way in, in which he coped and I, I think in which he needed to cope. I yeah. think he, 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 uh, he needed to stay airborne in some way, uh, uh, at least in his mind to, to, to have any chance of dealing with right. or, or not being completely crushed by, uh, you know, certain events he went right. through on the ground, um, you know, mo largest of which of course was yeah. the loss of his daughter. I also appreciate it. I mean, I think you, and I say this as a compliment, you, I think you underplay a bit of like this, this, this looming, um, loss through the film so that, you know, again, without quote unquote ruining anything, but like by the end, there's this amazing emotional cathartic moment. That's very similar to what we were talking about, about that, um, mm -hmm. the launch sequence where there's like a, a kind of a very small moment mm -hmm. in the, in the last act that for me caught me like, and I think I've heard this from other people, it catches you totally off guard and suddenly oh, you're like, tearing up like what, oh, yeah. what just happened <laughs> so, like what did Damien do how did he do this um and I, I'm, I'm sure that's very much by design um I mean without making I, you into a calculated I, asshole I, it's like here's <laughs> where I want you to cry but like it is like that's <laughs> uh well I guess us you know filmmaker we're, we're all calculated assholes <laughs> really it's all manipulation I, let's I think, put a positive spin I on think, it but, but to put a positive spin on it yeah. no i mean i guess i guess uh, uh I, what i will say um that's hopefully a little more inspiring than that is uh <laughs> is uh you know this was the first time for me of course doing a movie that was not you know that i didn't just right. come up with it was the first time doing a movie based on real events and based on real people and um, you know, so on the one hand, you feel an extra responsibility in that, but there's also this uh, this kind of reservoir of, you know, uh, j just the, the the real. The I was just consistently struck by how the real life version of these things was infinitely more um, right, uh, yeah, infinitely richer than than I, I think what like I what I what, yeah. what I would have come up with, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, on my own, and and. Uh, um, so that so it fe it well I I guess what it felt like was it felt like uh, I felt like you know we're lucky to have this opportunity where where you know um, somehow history sort of conspired such that the the first person to you know set foot on another celestial body um, uh, was at a time in his life where, you know, you could sort of reasonably 
surmise that there was a lot for him to run away from um, uh, and a lot for him to try to find some way to answer, you know, and and um, and so in a way, history kind of provided this sort of uh, the spine that that was that was, you know, sort of very clear the way you hope for as a storyteller mm-hmm. to have, you know, something to, 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 to hang your, to hang your incidents mm-hmm. and your, and, and yeah. your, and your textures over. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but, but there wasn't that much jimmying that we had to do. You know, Neil, Neil did in fact lose his daughter right on the eve of his joining NASA. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and certainly you can kind of draw some parallels between, you know, just draw some connections between, you know, difficulties he was having at work at the time and the, uh, the sickness and then death of his daughter and then his decision to sort of uh, plunge into basically the next big problem right. uh, that would kind of sublimate maybe his emotions into something else. And, uh, and then the various other losses that we kind of depict throughout the movie. Uh, not only did each of those, of course, happen, but there were certain kind of tragedies that we didn't have time to get into, you know, uh, certain other, uh, you know, th- there's a, there's a, 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 a small role in the movie early in the movie played by Brian Darcy James, mm-hmm. uh, who plays Joe Walker, one of the great sort of X-15 pilots who was, you know, maybe, maybe one generation older than Neil, a close friend of Neil, sort of a mentor to Neil, um, who himself died in a freak, uh, plane accident, uh, some shortly around the time of Apollo one, right. um, we didn't have time to get into that, you know, in the movie. Neil and Janet's house, when they first moved to Houston, burned down in a freak fire a year after moving in. Um, and uh, we didn't, we shot that, but it's not in the, not in the final movie. Um, I guess it's a long way of saying that there was a little bit of a story of Job kind of quality yeah. to, to, to Neil and Janet in those years. And yet you can't help but think, hmm, or wonder, in some way, did all that tragedy somehow lead the way to the moon. In other words, you know, was it not an obstacle? Was it actually secretly exactly the fuel that ultimately drove him to the moon? Because what does drive a human being to do something as really on paper insane as going to the moon, you know? And it's just this amazing kind of question, which, you know, I, I don't really know the answer to, but hopefully you get to use the movie as a way of posing those questions and throwing them out to the audience. Yeah. We we got at a a little bit of what what I want to bring up here, which is that, um, when you approach this quote unquote genre, if this is a genre, you know, you can't help but think of things like the right stuff and yeah. all 13, et cetera. Like I remember talking years ago to Danny Boyle when he was doing mm. sunshine oh, and, yeah. and he talked about like the intimidation, like the, the cloud over that film of Ridley Scott and alien and mm-hmm. how you do your version of that. What's left to mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably the, fir- one of the first questions you had to ask yourself, which is like, why, what do I bring to the table that's different? Like, mm-hmm. like these the, these mission movies, these these NASA movies have kind of been done pretty well in different ways. Mm-hmm. What was the early answer for yourself that said this was worth two three years of your life to pour your heart and soul into? Um, I think it's it's uh, uh, you know I, I think every. I mean, in a way, there's uh, so you know there, there's the sort of NASA subgenre, you know, of of kind of these you know historical space travel movies, and then and then you know there's, uh, but in a way, there's also just I, you know I guess uh, to me it's it, at the end of the day every space movie dealing with space in any kind of way, whether futuristic or, or period, um, is is also just ultimately going to be uh, if you're not careful in the shadow of two thousand and one, and and that it's sort of like, uh, 
it's this kind of godfather that birthed everything that you you kind of have to you can't ignore um but you uh, but actually you sort of want to try to ignore you know you you, you want to uh, you want to acknowledge but also you have to sort of shut off that part of your mind um and so i, I guess that's kind of the way the way i approached a lot of those movies was was to you know these were all movies that i'd watched many times kind of growing up and 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 you know uh, being a, a movie lover but um you know, and movies that I think I then took the time to rewatch right away when I first started working on this, um, and then made a point of kind of very purposefully not watching for a while, um, uh, uh, especially the good ones. You know, the good ones are the ones that are kind of the most dangerous because they, <laughs> they, you know, uh, you want to you want to replicate oh, that's them a good idea. in some way. I mean, yeah, exactly. Do people really remember that? I remember uh, it, but will other people remember that? <laughs> you know, and and um, and so I think it's. Uh, I don't know. It, it might be similar to when I was doing, you know, Whiplash at a certain point, I, I had to kind of stop looking at any movies about musicians. I had to kind of be looking at things that might seem to be completely yeah. different terrain uh, and hope that if I can make my music scenes like that, then they'll wind up in some middle zone that hasn't been traversed before. And so I think right. here it kind of wound up being a similar thing. We spent a lot more time watching war movies and, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, movies about physical violence or, or movies about grief or movies about, um, you know, or, or, or documentaries, sort of, you know, verite documentaries of the period and whatnot. Uh, ultimately, then we did space movies and right. um, sort of, you know, kind of on purpose. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know if that answers the no, question. No, it does. It does. And I think it's also, I think what also answers <laughs> it is what is the kind of the stuff that you were, not to put words in your mouth, but like what struck me as a major difference was, you know, actually thinking about like what what Spielberg did in that D-Day sequence, kind of like taking the sheen off of of what we have kind of in our mind's eye. Oh yeah, I mean, like I think really actually deconstructing and like actually, you know, that's that's not a bad. Uh, um, well, you know, it's funny you bring up Alien because you know it's also interesting thinking about Alien and even before it, Star Wars after two thousand five, after like two thousand and one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. because uh, because you know, in many ways, you can yeah, you can read that as a. a I mean, visually, what is Star Wars? But um, but kind of a a a a, a sort of redo of two thousand and one, but really dirtied up and kind of basically made by Scotch tape and in right. sort of private garages and stuff. Like that's that's the that's the brilliance I that's think the of the answer. of the of yeah. the original Star Wars. And um, and then you can kind of look at Alien as sort of what is Alien, but kind of taking a haunted house movie and putting it in that same kind of dirty space yeah. world and, and even emphasizing more the blue collarness. It's truck drivers in right. space, you right. know. So, um, so, but in each of these cases, you can kind of see where they grow out of 2001. Um, and so I think here, uh, here it was also kind of maybe identifying that, okay, at least, at least you know, uh, at least to, to my eyes and ears, the... The, the space race in particular had maybe been given a somewhat glamorous treatment uh, in the past right. and a somewhat kind of, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, sort of mythological kind mm -hmm. of thing that's, that's partly the movies made about it, but it's also partly the sort of mystique of NASA that we were talking yes. about, partly very intentional on NASA's part in yeah. terms of what they kind of wanted to feed into the narrative about them. And actually one thing, you know, that was really, I think, sort of provocative and interesting about Jim Hansen's book, First Man, that the biography of Neil that the movie is based on, is I think he was actually one of the first historians to actively cut against that. To really, you know, if you look at that book and, you know, there's certainly there's very little in, 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 in terms of big broad strokes in our movie that isn't kind of found in some way in the book. Um, uh, 
he was almost one of the first historians to actually really start talking about ways in which, you know, death could have actually affected these astronauts. You know, that, that, that actually, that idea was almost vaguely controversial before, before his book. You know, the idea, the, the sort of assumption was, well, these guys were built of such steel that, you know, death just pinged off their shoulders. And, uh, um, and they didn't really, there wasn't much inquiring also about what kind of skeletons they might have in their closet. A lot of people that Neil worked with never even knew he had a daughter. Right. Um, and so it was just kind of not talked about. Um, and, uh, and Jim Hansen made a point of really talking about it, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and, uh, uh, and so things like that, I think just, uh, I guess paved the, you know, sort of, sort of paved the way and, and, and kind of, uh, dictated, I guess, what the approach for, for me and, Ryan and everyone in the movie could be of leaning into all the things that normally would be tucked under the rug. Um, uh, Both the mundane things, the sort of day by day, Mm -hmm. sort of cleaning the pool, taking out the trash things, but also the, the darker stuff, the, uh, you know, actually confronting death head on and the amount of loss and danger and, 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 uh, and kind of risk that this program kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, involved and, uh, what that means to families, families yeah. being torn apart by this, you know. And, yeah, what happens uh, like after you get the umpteenth phone call about a friend of yours that just died in an accident? Yeah. What how happens many, when you go back into your house? How many, phone, how many phone calls of that nature yeah. can a human being take? Yeah. yeah. And um, um, that felt like that was thematically just something that I hadn't seen before and just kind of helped dictate, okay, right. if that's really the thematic stuff that feels kind of new that we can delve into, well, then that dictates the the style right. that dictates kind of how we shoot it. And we're going to shoot it, you know, with muck on the lens and we're going to shoot it without a tripod. It's going to be camera on the shoulder and 16 millimeter and it's going to feel rough and messy and scary and dark and intense and visceral and violent and physical and sweaty and smelly. You know, I wanted the audience to smell these capsules if they could, I would have used smell vision if I could have, uh, maybe there's still a possibility for a smell vision release. <laughs> Surprising. Look, it's Oscar season. You got to bring out all the bells and whistles. Bring out all the bells and whistles. Yeah. I don't know how, how well that one would go over, but, um, I'd like to go, go a little, a little broader. Speaking of like Oscar season, are you kind of itching at some, this point to like make a movie with zero expectations for awards? I mean, you've, you've now gone into this bizarre, rarefied air where thankfully the last two of your films have just like been so successful both commercially but also critically in an awards show so inherently something like this comes with those expectations um does that wear on you as a human being and a filmmaker is there is there a it's it's i I guess it's that weird thing where you're 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 well i guess ultimately out of your control but you're thankful as a filmmaker to to you know it's, it's an honor to be in any kind of to be part of any sort of conversation, uh, uh, like that. But, um, but I, you know, it, it does wind up involving a lot of this stuff that I like the least, which is, you know, um, talking to me, you can say it, it's okay. Which is talking to you. (laughs) This is really, this is the low point of my, uh, no, which is, which is the, uh, you know, the, the, some of the glad handing that, uh, that goes with it, that, um, uh, can be tough, especially for people like me who, who often prefer to, you know, um, sit at home and write or be behind a camera instead of in front of one, you know, all that sort of stuff can be, can be, uh, it's a steep learning curve, but, um, but, uh, yeah, were, were there, I try to just think about the movies themselves, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I've at least tried to do the last few times, be working on something while the other Smart. is doing its thing. At, you the know? Sa- at the same time, like the whole La La Land, like ride was, it was so emblematic. I feel like of like what we do to, to movies now where like, you know, 
you won the award and like you succeeded as much as you can, um, pretty much. And, uh, and <laughs> I remember that night. I, I can't forget it. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I guess my point is like, you know, the backlash pieces that inherently came yeah. and now come with every film. I'm not even going to bring up the stupidity of the, of the American flag on the, on the moon in this one, which mm-hmm. is just a non story. Um, but like, you know, I was Googling, you know, I was looking back at like La La Land reception and like one of the things I found like amidst all the praise was like Washington Post top 10 backlashes to La La Land. Like it was like, it's oh, like, yeah, it's yeah. become like That's funny. an institutionalized part of the process yes. where, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah. Does that, did that sting and did you take any of that criticisms to heart? Did you feel any of it was warranted? Did it all feel overblown? Just give me a sense of sort of how you, how you reconcile that kind of, um, well, you know, it, it, it's, uh, uh, I don't know, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's kind of par for the course. So, yeah. so it, it I, I think you're right that it's sort of, um, in a way it's, it's, uh, it's part of the process. And what's kind of interesting is, you know, once you finish the movie, it, it's not really yours anymore. So at least that's how I kind of feel once it's kind of out into the world, it belongs to the world and, and, uh, and, and. And so there's some part of you that maybe wishes you could kind of, you know, uh, uh, write all the pieces yourself, you know, but, <laughs> like, but well, actually uh, here's what, what you know, yeah, or, right. Or, or, or spend your time responding <laughs> or right. correcting or whatever, but it, it's, it's kind of, um, it's, uh, it's not a battle that you can win. It's well, not. If you, and, and if you're going to get overly kind of involved in that sort of stuff, then you're probably in the wrong line of, uh, yeah. r- wrong line of work. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, yeah, yeah. So you just sort of, uh, you try to focus on the movie at hand or whatever, sort of whatever you're kind of working on at that point. And, and um, um, yeah. Can, can we, uh, I'm curious to talk to you a little bit about genre filmmaking. I remember we talked about, like, last time you were on the podcast, like, the closest you come as a director, like, Whiplash is in many ways a thriller as much as it is anything else. Um, if you look at a lot of your writing work outside of the films you've directed, you've actually written some pretty uh, great thrillers, namely like 10 Cloverfield Lane and then Grand Piano. Um, are you, is that something that you wouldn't be surprised that you gravitate towards at some point doing your kind of like De Palma Hitchcock hmm. full through and through thriller? I, I don't know. I, I, um, it was definitely the kind of movies that I think I was the most, you know, may, maybe the most into as a, as a kid or as a kind of a teenager were, were those sorts of, those sorts of thrillers. Um, so I think it, it, you know, um, I mean, it sort of came by happenstance in terms of the writing because I, I, you know, I, I, one had, begets I, another, you do one. <laughs> yeah. And it just sort of started with, uh, oh shoot, I need, you know, I'm out here in LA and, 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 uh, you know, kind of knocking on doors and none of the doors are open and I got to figure out some way to, man, wouldn't it be great to at least be able to pay the bills, uh, with, you know, well, I have no expectation of directing yet, but pay the bills with writing sure. and, and, um, and that's, the okay. So what, bones. so what, what can sell? Yeah. Well, it's not going to be my, you know, my sort of, uh, uh, musical, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, my, my jazz musical, uh, is not really going to do the trick. So, so, you know, uh, maybe I'll write some thrillers and, and so it kind of, yeah, it was like one thing started with some, uh, it started with one, you know, just kind of spec thriller that I wrote and tried to sell and it kind of led to another. And then, you know, something like the 10, like 10 Cloverfield Lane was, it was actually basically a rewrite job, you know, that kind of, and so it, it, it uh, uh, basically that was my life for, you know, however many years uh, before I made Whiplash, which just kind of uh, writer for hire right. um, in that 
I guess, circuit, you'd call it the kind of low budget genre right. circuit. Um, and, you know, some of those movies are good. Some, you know, turn out good. Some of them are really bad. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and, uh, and then of course, most jobs you go up for, you don't get, you know, so I spent a lot of time pitching on, you know, most of my time was spent pitching on jobs that I wouldn't get a very funny list of, uh, what, give me, give me one, what was the one that you were dying to do that you didn't, I get? spent a lot of time. I mean, I spent months working on a Ouija pitch. Um, that is so, here's what's funny about it that. Didn't, it didn't, you know, I didn't get the job. My, my, my brother is a writer, a rather successful writer in, in Hollywood. And he was attached to a Ouija film. Mick G was supposed to direct for a while that really? gone through so many different iterations. And that didn't happen it didn't either. Never, it never happened. Oh my God. The one they eventually made was like a very, like, like a small horror film. The one he was going to do, I think was like a big, like action adventure. Got film. it. So it's like, uh, oh, it's interesting. Maybe it's just like this road, not travel that unites. Uh, there you go. Unites all of us. <laughs> you and, That's you and, funny. You and Adam Horowitz can look across a room and just, nod to each other <laughs> ah, <laughs> the unspoken Ouija exactly. <laughs> exactly. is there um, like uh, you know Christopher Nolan is, is, a, is a self-avowed like Bond freak right and like I'm, I'm sure that at some point he's basically said at some point he's going to make a, a James Bond film it's just that needs to be the right timing mm -hmm. right um, is there a similar franchise or character or something that would be difficult for you to say no to that is just so in your bones so close to your heart that feels like it would be cool to take a shot at um Probably not. There's, it's, it's, uh, I, and that didn't necessarily used to be the case. I think, I think I have a hard time. I, w I would have a hard time, um, not feeling like I could be on the ground floor of, right. of, of creating something. So, you know, for instance, if it was, uh, if it was some sort of franchise, then it would have to be some kind of a, a reboot or something. Yeah. So a redo where, where, yeah. where, you know, kind of as Nolan did with, with Batman, you, you, you cast it and you, you sort of conceive it and you, um, design yeah. it and everything, but to have to inherit, you know, anything from, uh, from other directors, right. I just have too much, um, my ego is too insecure for, to, to handle that. <laughs> so you're saying you're passing on Fast and Furious 10. This is a, a oh, no, major no, I'll, I'll make an exception okay. for, for, for that. I'm sorry. That's... You and Vin Diesel are, are meant to be. I know this is like Scorsese and De Niro. <laughs> I've always had that sense, too. <laughs> um, but were you, were you a – you mentioned like loving thrillers growing up. Were you – were you a genre kid? Like, were you into? Yeah, yeah. Everything I mean, that I was into comic books was? and and into you know James Bond and into uh, you know horror and thrillers and sci-fi and you know whatnot. Did, did you? Because I you know from a different vantage point, obviously I didn't end up making film, but like I geeked out on all the like the director commentaries. Yeah, and yeah, the I did the same. books and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like that was that was part of your path, I assume. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Sidney Lumet, yeah, making movies, uh, the Hitchcock Truffaut book, the yeah. the you know the sort of um, uh, the Godfather Notebook, and yeah, like yeah. All, yeah, just just kind of everything that, I could get. What was that conversation series? Did they still do that? Where it's like a collection of like by filmmaker. It's like twenty different interviews with the same filmmaker. I have so many of those kinds of books. I can't even keep them straight. Like there's there's a sort of masterclass right. kind of series with filmmakers. There's uh, my first film, my first movie. Yep. is a good book where it's just a collection of you know directors talking about their first movie. Actually, I have a couple of those. Breaking In is another one that talks about first movies. Then there's also the DGA, you know, recently or somewhat recently started releasing kind of just their, their um, you know, uh, their... The conversations they, they do. In, the, the conversations. The transcriptions. You know, the, 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 exactly. Just transcripts of the end of year conversations with yeah. whoever was nominated, you know, since whatever, you know, since the early 90s or something. So yeah, that's another... That's good, yeah, yeah. So, so there's um, a lot out there. There is. Um, 
So it sounds like you have, I don't know if you, have you started working on other of the direct, the TV projects? There's one that you, I believe, we're going to do for Apple. Yeah, that, that one is still pretty, uh, uh, sort of early, early, okay. early stages working, um, working with a writer on that. Um, and then, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, ne- next year I'll be going to, uh, to Paris to shoot. Um, just the first two episodes of a of a of a Netflix show there that um, that I developed a, a, a while ago with um, this writer Jack Thorne and producer Alan Poole and um, uh, Glenn Ballard uh, doing the music and yeah so that's that'll be kind of a return to music sort of right. um, uh, but but I'm uh, but yeah just uh, I'm just kind of doing the uh, getting it on its feet in a way. Is, is that people bursting into song in that convention? No, no, that's more um, um, diegetic, you know, just uh, right. uh, uh, musicians right. making music. Yeah. Would it, is, do you feel like you need a little distance before you consider another musical after making something? Like a, like a full full musical? Yeah, I think I would need a, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I go back and forth between Never Again and, uh, you know, maybe in a few movies. So right. I, I don't know. Right. Definitely need some 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 distance. So what is, so what is the one that you talked about sort of like to take your head off of like all the silliness that goes along with award season? What, what is, what are you pouring your artistic brain into right now? Is it one of those shows? Uh, 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 well a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write, uh, I'm trying to write the next, uh, the next, uh, movie as well. I just, uh, uh, but it's very kind of, uh, very early on. So I'm not doing much in the way of actual writing yet. It's more a lot of reading and right. kind of hunting for inspiration and a little bit of research, things like that. So I, I, I kind of, I'm in that sort of zone right now. Um, I remember but, uh, again, the, the last time you were on, we, we talked a lot about like audacious filmmakers and our, our mutual mm-hmm. love of sort of filmmakers that kind of just go for broke. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I would count all of your films as audacious thus far, um, but they haven't had necessarily the price tag attached to it that maybe feel like, you know, you haven't, you know, the, the, the sort of the folly kind of, uh, right. And I'm, I'm curious, do you, is in your back pocket or in your drawer, a, my, a, my Fitzcarraldo, yeah, is oh, your yeah. 1941, your whatever, <laughs> not to say it'll fail, but like the thing that like, you know, at some point I'm oh, just going right. to lay my cards on the table and say, I need 150, 200 million dollars to execute something that, mm. that feels uh, audacious. Well, you know, uh, maybe the the. Uh, I guess I like uh, it's more a more boring answer, but I like the idea of um, sort of slowly working my way up. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, uh, of course, it depends on the definition of slow, but 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 you know, in, in terms of like what the budget gaps are, but you know. Um, um, there was at least to me kind of a reasonable escalation. Right. What I would determine would be a reasonable escalation from budget to budget from my last few movies. If you you know going from Guy Madeline to Whiplash to La La Land and now First Man, uh, you know e- each cost a little more than the one before. Uh, uh, but but um, you know none of them are are exponential break the like, bank yes uh, k- kind of movies and so responsible films so. Yeah, which which uh, you know, I'd like to say that that's all that matters to me. But 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 really, probably what matters more is that you know, uh, if you if you can keep that ceiling down a certain amount, it gives you that much more creative freedom. I guess my biggest fear would be sort of signing on the dotted line for right. some really juicy, enticing 
kind of, you know, a, a wowser of a number of yeah. a budget, you know, and, and then quickly you realize what comes with that budget because it's, it's the irony that more money, uh, less freedom, uh, less, yeah, yeah the, the money comes at a price, yeah. you know, and, uh, uh, very much so. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, I mean, one, one, one step at a time, but I, I, I kind of, um, you know, right now I don't think that my next movie, whatever it is, is going to be, you know that much more wildly expensive right. than, than what I've done thus far. Well, we'll talk again on that one, and we'll talk again. It doesn't for, mean it can't be a folly, though. I was Yes, please. I, can, I would expect can, nothing less. Please can, go for uh, it. <laughs> you can really, uh, you can mess things up even at a low budget, you know? <laughs> that's that's the, the takeaway for the young film students out there. It's very inspiring. <laughs> yeah. uh, I look forward to that folly, all the follies to come, and no, the brilliance to come, because, I mean, every one of your films has been uh, just wonderful and uh and your future collaborations with vin diesel i mean i feel like we we launched something here today ouija maybe we we can (laughs) bring it all together we can can bring it all together (laughs) and make it for 300 million (laughs) dollars worst idea (laughs) you heard it here first uh david thanks for stopping by again thanks thanks for having me and so ends another edition of happy sad confused Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. (laughs) 